Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. My colleague, Reverend Jen Crow, Senior Minister of the First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, Minnesota, a UU congregation of 1,069 members, sent a note out last week to the senior ministers of large UU congregations list, of which I am on. I found it incredibly informative. In this letter, she noted that she had attended a seminar titled Exploring the Pandemic's Impact on Congregations, which brought together the emerging research on congregational life and trends over the last three years as part of a larger project funded by the Lilly Endowment to track the impact of COVID-19 on religious life and Christian congregations over a five-year period. We have been told that 530 Unitarian Universalist congregations also participated in this study. And while the research is ongoing, Reverend Jen said that she was finding it very helpful in understanding the larger context we find ourselves in as a faith community. One of the primary observations she reported was that perhaps the most important thing that she heard is that we are on fluid ground. Everything is still pretty much up in the air and there's no going back to the way things were. What it means to belong, to be connected, to be engaged in a spiritual community or any community for that matter is in flux. We do life differently than we did before the pandemic and we need to create new patterns of meaning and belonging in our congregations based in a compelling why. Meanwhile, she notes that most people, and especially most long-tenured faith communities, long for a sense of stability and predictability, but the statement that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior is no longer true in congregational life and perhaps for many of our institutions, she says. Now, all of this may not be earth-shattering news to most of us, but I do believe these are important observations to consider on this day of our annual meeting. There are so many wonderful things that will stay the same at UUCF in this beloved community moving forward, but we're also on the precipice of some significant changes. Reverend Jen noted further reasons for these changes when she wrote, COVID has been a major catalyst for change, offering an opportunity to focus on what is really most important. It has also resulted in creation of virtual spaces for worship, religious education and community, creative building usage, new relationships with technology, what membership, belonging, and engagement in congregational life means in a significant time of flux. New pathways of collaboration and partnership are developing, and this is taking shape in new interfaith and ecumenical partnerships, and renewed commitments to the congregation's role in the community, and collaboration with local civic leadership. And what membership, Belonging and engagement in congregational life means is in a significant time of flux, she writes. The ratio of in-person to virtual members matters. 
What the survey found was that, in general, higher online participation and lower in-person participation correlates with lower commitment in areas of giving, volunteering, and small group participation, and a lower sense of belonging and engagement. Many congregations are experiencing increased demands with far fewer volunteers, was found in this study. Increased demand for financial and food assistance and spiritual guidance and counseling is the most common. 15% of the congregations surveyed experienced reductions in staffing, and across congregations, the percentage of church attenders who regularly volunteer in the congregation dropped from 44% to 15%. Not true here, except Bill may need help on the grill later on. <laughs> she says that financially, it's a mixed picture. Giving increased during the pandemic for roughly a third of congregations, and giving decreased for roughly a third of congregations. 30% of congregations agree that their financial viability is at risk as a result of the pandemic, and 19% say that their continued existence is threatened. One important point she made from her understanding of the workshop and data was this is important. Optimism and the willingness to change can make a big difference. Congregations that are thinking in new ways about their vision and mission, that are willing to embrace change, identifying new ways to innovate and embrace new opportunities for ministry, and believe they, and believe they will emerge stronger than before, are experiencing higher levels of attendance, giving, and a sense of spiritual vitality. And finally, when the phone rings, <laughs> I always like that one, actually. And finally, Reverend Jen notes, likely challenges ahead include attendance, volunteering, and giving concerns, continued need for change and innovation, exhaustion is real, changing use of facilities, evolving demographic patterns and closures, and new ministry patterns are evolving. One of the things being noticed in our congregations is that so much change, especially when accompanied by decreased resources, seems to be bringing a certain degree of trauma behavior to the surface, some that has been built up over the pandemic years. There has been so much change, and there are so many challenges to things that we've seen at places of stability or grounding, not to mention cultural and political upheaval that seems to be omnipresent in these times. So sometimes part of the trauma response is looking for places to ascribe blame. Why is this happening? Who is responsible? What caused this mess? Leadership can be targets for blame, both lay leadership and professional leadership. We so often try to get our stories straight in our heads. We work to understand different factors and create a story based on what we have heard, what we have seen, our own versions based in our own experiences, what we project of how we think others should act or be. No one ever does that here, right? Or what we may even hope for, whether ever, 
really possible or not, stories based on all of this are the way each of us try to put these challenging and joyous things into an understandable context. We do that through stories. Reverend Jen's letter is telling us a story. A story about this point in time in our religion in America, this point in time in Unitarian Universalism in our congregations. Her story has now been added to all of our stories for this day. Part of my story is this past Memorial Day weekend. My wife Alice and I drove to Chicago to move my mother from her assisted living apartment to a room in skilled nursing. My mother is 93 years old and has started down the path of dementia. Since moving out of my childhood home, each subsequent move has seen a diminishment of personal items and memorabilia until what must have been the most precious things for my mother and the family. That's what was left. Except, of course, for my old comic books and baseball cards, which went years ago. But I digress. As I looked through the items that had been laid out on the various flat surfaces by my siblings, I began to think of the stories each item had. Where did it come from? Why was it so precious? Was it from the time they were in the army in Germany in the 1950s? Was it from their parents or cherished family members? Was it a knickknack picked up on a whim in a secondhand shop? Each thing with an individual story, but collectively the story of the life of my mother and my parents and my family and my ancestors. Then the hard part came. What would we keep? What was meaningful to us? Would the stories continue with my brothers and our spouses? Would my nieces and nephews add to the story of whatever they would take with them? What small amount will remain in my mother's room? And perhaps the hardest question, would the stories end the day the movers came to take what was left to the consignment shop to become the stories of others, much like some of the other people's items had been for my mother, my parents, and my family? As I drove home from Chicago with my box of beloved treasures, I couldn't stop thinking about this meeting today. I couldn't help but think about the story of the board's budget proposal, the story that will come from our discussion today, the story of how we've been together up till now and how we will move forward from here and how this story will be told in years to come. What will be said about our understanding of this moment in history? How about how we practiced, how we practiced our faith, not just when it was easy, but when it was hard. How we dealt with the natural human desires to find a reason, to put the story in context, something we could wrap our heads around and still do the vital work of practicing the love at the heart of this faith. Today at this annual meeting, much of our conversation will be about financial aspects about the budget, and of course that is important, but I invite us all to remember, we are not a business. We are not a big corporation, we are not a traditional NGO, and we are not the government. We are a religious community that has 
faith that our values and the practice of love made real can maybe, just maybe, have a transformational power for ourselves, each other, and the world. And we can't just throw these words out and not try our best to practice them. I actually believe with all that's going on and all that is challenging and changing, we need to lean even further into increased study, understanding, and practice of the values of this complex and historic faith. How do we do this? The upcoming meeting, the challenges of the coming year, the stories yet to be told, all of this gives us a chance to model the world we wish to see. This isn't easy. And it's not supposed to be. If it were easy, the world would already be there. We are deeply human, however, and one of the things we know is that we will continue to need to call ourselves and each other back to our best selves. So I want to close today with words of my friend, the recently departed Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs, who wrote this traditionally for Yom Kippur and who deeply loved this faith. And I'll ask that you join with me for remaining silent when a single voice would have made a difference. We forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. Can we say that? We forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. For each time that our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible, we forgive ourselves and each other and we begin again in love. For each time that we have struck out in anger without just cause, we forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. For each time that our greed has blinded us to the needs of others, we forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. For the selfishness which sets us apart and alone. We forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. For falling short of the omissions of the spirit, we forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. For losing sight of our unity, we forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. Finally, for those and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, which have fueled the illusion of separateness, we forgive ourselves and each other, and we begin again in love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To listen to more sermon podcasts, Go to uucf.org slash worship hyphen services and scroll down to sermon podcasts.